Mates Under Fire is made possible by subscribers to the Daily Telegraph. Search Daily Telegraph Subscribe to learn more about taking out a subscription. Malua Bay on the New South Wales south coast is a tight-knit community. It's picturesque, it's small and above all else, locals here have been through hell and back together. On New Year's Eve, as the fires tore through this beachside suburb, locals banded together and they've been together ever since. In this episode, we meet some of these extraordinary local heroes helping people get back up on their feet. If your home had just burned down, Ken Sloan is exactly who you'd want to see tearing up your driveway in his Pantech truck. On New Year's Eve, he handed out water to stunned farmers whose properties looked like cluster bombs had exploded everywhere. Ever since, he's been giving people free furniture from his op shop. Raj Gupta, the Malua Bay pharmacist, won't talk about his fire losses. He's too modest. He will say, though, that customers who he served in the dark and for free in the days after the devastating blaze offered him a place to stay. Emily Maguire is a hairdresser, but as every woman knows, she's also a counsellor. Her skills were put to good use when she offered free shampoos and blow dries to traumatised residents. She rallied hair salons across the country to help replace the hair products and makeup of her customers who had lost everything. Ken is retired, but that's not really true because he actually works around the clock in a voluntary capacity at Rally for Relief in Tomican, the op shop he created from a disused fire shed. He and his team of 50 volunteers usually raise money for the Sydney Children's Hospital's research into childhood cancer. In about five years, they've raised just over $2 million. Ken has converted old hospital beds into trolleys to transport goods around the sheds. He doesn't waste a cent. All the money goes to the kids, except at the moment when he's instead giving furniture and white goods to fire victims for free. When we meet Ken, it's bustling. People left with nothing in the fires are shown to furniture they can take for free and reassured the centre will be there for them for the long haul. When it's time to knock off a bell tolls, Ken has a nice story about that bell. The last couple of six weeks, what's, I mean, how important has this been oh. for people? It's been very important because in the last six weeks, even from Christmas time when the fires were around, we were going out in our little truck, Pantac truck, taking out water, water, toilet tissues, milk and all that sort of thing to we followed the fireys. Yep. Me and another guy went out for a couple of weeks on the truck and we'd follow the fireys down roads where we were not supposed to go and go into the farms and whatever people. And, but the fireys came up and I thought we, we were probably the first ones in the Mogo. And... Uh, and the fireys pulled up behind us and next to us because the roads were all blocked and we just drove in and started giving out things to people standing outside the houses and then because they were walking around in sort of disamazement about the whole thing and uh, and, and we started handing things out because then I sort of started oh, that's how I'll tell you about that bill in a minute that uh, that's our knockoff bill but yeah um, uh, what we did we, we found that people that shocked shell shocked and dismayed at this stage that we could do whatever we could do for them. And I found that uh, then we also started doing the food supply, like people would come here every day and we'd hand out food and items, whatever we had here at that stage. And uh, since then we've moved on from that. We're now, people wishing to come here now, if they need furniture or anything, we will give them to them. We will give it to them free of charge. And because uh, this problem is going to go on for the next 12 to 18 months. Because when they start building houses, that's when they'll need furniture, fridges, washing machines. At the moment, most of them are being put in other rental houses and so forth, or units, apartments. But we're in for the long haul on the grounds that we, uh, we sort of looked at the whole community as a whole and said, well, everyone's in that situation. And because it's such a 
transparent community to a point of workers and so forth, half the workers around here are only on casual, because with what happened with the bushfires, they just no work. So then they made redundant. Now businesses are closing up all over the place because they they needed the Christmas they needed the Christmas holiday period for them their quiet periods of the month. You know, I had one lady come in that day. She's had her shop going for over ten years, and she said, "I got to close it. She said, the rent's too exorbitant, and I can't make up money." And she'd been here for ten years in the bay. You know, and she said, "So it's devastated a lot of the business. So there's a lot of businesses are going to be on there hanging on their by their fingers." And so, not only that, but people said no work, no jobs, no money. And uh, the holiday period's nearly just about over, like for this peak period, you know, when tourists, we get, you know, probably four times the amount of people as what's in the bay, usually here for two to three months of the year. Well, at the moment, we're getting a few, but not, not the amount that we could have here, but it's devastated the whole community as a whole and all sorts of things. So our little committee have come up and said, well, and I spoke to the hospital, I said, now, because the priority is now we have to look after our own in this community. We will be submitting a lot of our items rather than being giving you cash. We're going to be giving a lot of this stuff out to the people. Mm. They come in like today. The guy come in, he said, oh, I'm renting at the moment. And he said, I've got nothing. I said, well, do you want a bed? Oh, I'm sleeping on the floor. And I said, no, you come back here and I'll give you a bed. You can have a bed. And he said, oh, I just want some sheets and a couple of kitchen things. And I said, so we hand them out and they take them. But they're that. a lot of the people that just don't really want, they feel bad as enough as this, but we try to educate them the fact is that we're all in this community together and we've all got to stick together and if we can help out where we can, we can. You know, we look at this as a whole that we've got to help rebuild the community and it's a very strong community and everyone's sort of pulling together and the council have even approached me in the last two days of having a, uh, they said, oh, there's, there's have what they call drop shops and I said, well, they obviously didn't know what we already were yeah. and she rang me and said, oh, we'd like you to help out with tools and equipment like that and I said, well, that's not a problem. See why? I said because we've been doing it for the last month, handing out stuff as it is already. So we're not. Uh, it's not going any different. I said we can't have all new stuff. But I said if there's tools and that they want out there, they're only too happy to have them. I said we'll give it to them. But I said at this stage, oh, so you're giving everything else? I said we certainly have been. And I said uh, and we will be doing it for the future, uh, for all the fire affected people in the communities. You know. And I said so. It's uh, because you know that the locals supported us for the years now, and it's been fantastic. And they've stuck by us and we'll stick by the community. Do you think that's what has kept people going and what will keep people going, knowing that, that everyone's in this together, everyone's rallying together? Yes, I think that has a big big potential involved in it because they need to talk to people, they need to be involved. And, and you know, when we were going in the farms and that, and the fires even said this to me, Ken, the best thing you've ever done with this, because people say, we don't know you people. I said, never mind about knowing us. You're in this community. We're here. With, you want toilet paper. You want water. You want milk. You want some cans of baked beans and breakfast seal. Because we'd have that little Pantech truck of chocolates. And we'd go out at 7 o'clock in the morning, come back at 7 o'clock at night. Or get one load and come back and get another load. You know, and uh, so we sort of been very actively involved doing that. What are you doing that with Teddy Bear? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, look... I've been through bushfires before. I've come from Juneau, when then then in Riverina here, and you know, and I've so I've been through some big bushfires myself. So I, I realise that uh, as a whole, people are totally devastated. They still want to, still a lot of them still don't know what they want to do or what they're going to do. You know, because a lot of people are not insured, a lot of people others insured, and because insurance companies are claiming down a little bit, you know, on excessive on stuff. And you say one stage they say yeah, go away. All of a sudden, boom. Now we've had the rain, now the fires are reduced down to a certain criteria, but then houses are now being flooded. 
you know, this damaged house, like a friend of mine, he said his roof collapsed. He had fire damage to the side of the house. Now, they had a that heavy range we had last week. His roof collapsed in. Now, they had a guy up and they'd go to fix the roof up, and he just fell through the roof, you know, because it was obviously affected by the fire. And they're struggling for money, you know, to, to do things. And, and I was like, uh, and but my, one of my best, well, my best mate, actually, he was out at Margo, and it was a brand new house. He'd been renting out there for 12 months. He lost everything. It was just burnt to the ground. You know, all his tools, equipment, his motorbikes, his trailers, his boats, and all that sort of stuff, they all just gone. Now, just on that bell, in the children's hospital when we were down there six months ago, they, they have a tradition. When someone goes through the chemo treatment and drug treatment and they finish their procedures, they get all the staff, all the gathering there, and they come and sing a song, and then they ring the bell. And it's a bigger bell than that one. And that's what it says on the plaque there. And so, because they wanted to give us something, they said, uh, we'd like to give you a record of our bell and a plaque of what it's all about and what it means. So ringing the bell, as it says on there, they thought it would be good because it's reminding you of the kids in the hospital and also knock-off time for rally sheds. So when the fire was on, we had a fire just down the road here, and I come down here checking the plaque of this place because the trees were light just about 100 yards here on this side of the road. And I went in there and I said, it's just going to hit this place. And uh, so I ran home and grabbed a screwdriver and stuff and I unscrewed those and took them out and took them home. Yeah, because it means a lot to the community. It means a lot to the rally group here. Then I ran out in the street and there was a fire truck down the road and I bailed him up. I drove past him. I said, mate, you're going to have to come down here and hit this. I said, because I've got gas bottles and that out the back here and they're going to blow. And I said, so what I need is we need a backburn because I'm an ex-fireman back from years ago and I said we need a backburn on this just on this side of the road here they come down that was great they're fantastic they come down here and they lit her all up because the flames are up on top of the trees mm. you know yeah it would have got the next trees it would have got that building there and that was a big scrubby area at the back it would have burned straight through there into here and uh, so I spent several hours out there with them doing the fire breaks with them but, but you know and they were great and they said oh yeah well if you leave this and walk away from this because the wind was still blowing the gale I said, That's, it's going to come this way further. It's come across the road and it's come down that way and now it's coming this way. So I probably didn't you know, sleep that night either until about 4 o'clock in the morning, but I'd come down and check, check yeah, she's still okay. But, you know, things like that. I had to offer, well, at that stage, even took paperwork and all that sort of stuff out of the office. So we had all our files and stuff. and packed them out the truck and took them home. But, you know, <laughs> and then we had to be closed for a couple of days because we had no power for a week. You know, we had no power, we had no fridges, no electricity, no from computers and machines and... Uh, but, you know, we work in rain, hail or snow here. Our, we only close for Christmas Day. We open every other week of the week of the year. Raj offers to meet us at his pharmacy on a Saturday morning when it's usually closed. He has a lot on his plate to personally recover from his fire losses. It's a mark of his selflessness, as is his response to the steady stream of people who tap on his window to ask if he's open. He's not, but he would never turn a customer away. In the days after the fire, he sat in his windowless shop without power and dispensed medication to customers who had no home to go to and no medicine cabinet to raid. Without cash, no one could pay. That was fine by Raj too. He handed out supplies for nothing. Malua Bay isn't really big enough for a pharmacy, he says. There isn't even a doctor in town to send customers armed with scripts his way. But after his experience on New Year's Eve, he can't contemplate leaving. He loves the town and its people more than ever. Good day. How are you, bud? Can I just get some scripts while you open or? Yeah, sure, sure. Come on.
It was a uh, it was a very scary experience. Um, I at least I couldn't imagine that bushfires could come so close to us. I mean, we are right on the water here, and the, the nearest thick bush is about I would say about a kilometer away. So I I couldn't have imagined, but um, it all happened all so suddenly. Um, I remember there was New Year's Eve, and uh, um, around um, around eleven o'clock, around this time of the day, uh, I, we had somebody coming in from SES. They said, "Raj, don't you know you have to vacate?" I said, "Really?" He said, oh. "So I went out, and we had fires flaring up just about, uh, I would say, hundred less than hundred meters away from here." And uh, so, and then I realized that all the fellow shopkeepers here have left, had left. And um, SES guy knew me. He said, all oh, right, just, you, uh, you're supposed to leave. I said, oh. I said, do you think the fires would, would burn these shops? He said, of course they would. He said, and, and once again, he knew, he knew me as a pharmacist. And he said, just grab whatever you can, whatever is valuable you think you can grab. And, yeah. and there I was suddenly faced with the decision of working out what is worth saving and uh, in the end, all I could, all I could think of, because I only had a couple of minutes, all I could think of was saving all the data in our pharmacy. So uh, I just downloaded all the data in a hard drive, and there were a few boxes of um, um, drugs we have, which are very expensive. So I just thought, I just grabbed them in a box, and off I went. Uh, and we all went to the there was an evacuation center on the beach. Here. There were thousands of people there, and. Uh, it was all sudden, and it—it it was all sudden. I didn't have to, you know, didn't get time to get scared. I think your name has come up so many times. Um, just, you know, you mentioned there were so many of you together. The community seems to have really banded together. Even uh, in the hours after the fire, you opened your shop up again, and you were helping people with um, with medication that that they probably would have lost scripts for you had so many homes lost that people had lost scripts they'd lost life-saving medications yet you still came back to open up the shop what drove you to do that i like coming to work i i was staying in a motel those days myself and i i just thought i'd better be at work and and you know as a pharmacist you know that uh, i i sort of imagined that uh, because of a lot of smoke in the air I thought people will be in respiratory distress. We get a lot of requests for asthma medicine around that time anyway. So I came. And when I drove from my motel to the pharmacy, I knew that there was no power. I thought, well, you know, I'll do the best I can. And and a lot of us did on that day. Um, it wasn't just me. Um, our, we have a little IGA here, the gentleman who owns it. I saw him. I witnessed him handing out stuff to people on IOU notes and he had plenty of a box full of chits which he had given goods to people and to be paid later. So it wasn't just me and I I think at times like at times of crisis uh, the best in people comes out and we I know another I can think of so many instances where people went above and beyond their normal call of duty. 
I mean, it's such a beautiful community. Is that what drew you here? And is that what, um, are you going to stay here? Is that what yes, 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 uh, yes, uh, definitely. Uh, I first came to Malua Bay about 15 years ago. I was on a long weekend away here. I just fell in love with the place and I wanted to um, to live and work here. So I set up this pharmacy about seven years ago. As it, it wasn't easy to, and it's still not easy because, uh, you know, we just, there's not enough shopping here in Malua Bay or as, and there's no GPs here, which some something. If there is some GP listening in your program, I would like to urge them to consider Malua Bay as a place for a practice. Not only you will have a lot of patients to see, you can also do a lot more here. So, um, I, I, a couple of years ago, I do recall thinking about whether I could sustain this pharmacy. Uh, but now, I must say, the situation has changed. I feel so much affection from the local community out and and it's not and for somebody who who came to Australia 28 years ago uh, I wasn't born in Australia or brought up in Australia I feel uh, I always felt it's a privilege to live in Australia but now all the more I think now is an opportunity to to do more I can and and I felt that uh, people here uh, need a pharmacy. So, have you been heartened by the way that the communities rallied together and banded together and helped each other out? Oh, it's amazing! This is uh, this is what I think is all about living in a community as opposed to living in a big city. And here, people know you, and people people have the you know, people have your back. It's just people bend out, bend together. Whatever word you use to describe that, it, you feel taken care of. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's, a, it's one of the attractions of living in a small community like Malabar. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good, thank you. Mrs. Katani, would you like to meet a couple <laughs> of people who are visiting us from Sydney? They are from a radio station called Nova. And I'm from the Daily Telegraph. Oh, okay. We'll be back with more after this. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. There's a hint of sadness when Emily Maguire says she felt guilty that she was stopped along the road to the south coast and was unable to be with her Malua Bay community when the fire bore down and thousands feared for their lives on the beach. She's been a lifeline for the traumatised and the broken ever since. Maybe because she wasn't there to see the horror, she's the perfect support. Each customer is painting a picture for her of what they saw and felt. They're not increasing her burden, only lightening theirs. What we did was we wanted to be able to help as many people as we could, but we also knew we couldn't do that on our own, that that would also come as a cost, and people were really worried about that. So we actually went to the industry. We asked the industry 
suppliers, other salons, what they were happy to donate. And boxes of equipment and, and shampoos and conditioners just started arriving. As we've told other suppliers what we're doing, they've then said, well, let us know what you're giving away and we'll replace it or we'll give you a discount on that stock. So it's not actually coming out of our pocket. We've got great support from the entire industry. And you're talking about, so the, if someone's um, a local, what, what, sort of, um, what are you doing for them? And if someone's lost at home, what are you doing for them? So anybody is allowed to come in and have a complimentary shampoo and blow dry just to have some tender loving care. We don't mind if they're not a client, there's no strings attached, but when your hair feels good, you feel good. If they've lost their home, we're replacing everything that they've lost that we can supply. So hair care, skin care, makeup, um, hot tools, so hair dryers, straighteners, hot rollers, curling wands, doesn't matter what it is, we just go salon shopping, no strings attached. If in six months' time they realise that there's something else that they're missing, we invite them to come back in and let us know what that is because we all know that you don't know what you're missing until you go to get something out of the cupboard and particularly women's bathroom cupboards are a never-ending story. So we just invite them to come in anytime they need anything. At first, they're quite overwhelmed by the level of generosity. Um, and I guess those that, uh, whether they're our salon clients or from other hairdressers in the area, they know what the cost of a decent straightening iron is and they can't believe they're giving, being given that for free. Um, whether it's you know a $300 straightening iron or $50 worth of shampoo and conditioner, we actually do... For their makeup, we do a full face of makeup for them and we literally order them everything that they need to their skin tone. So they walk out, they have great hair, they've got a full face of makeup and they know they're going to get a goodie bag at the end of it. They're overwhelmed by the generosity. Um, some are a little bit sad because obviously they shouldn't have to go through replacing things to that extent and they certainly don't expect it for nothing. There's others that have started coming in and they do come for a weekly complimentary shampoo and blow dry. I had a beautiful message from a client that I saw on Friday that she had considered cancelling because she didn't feel up to it because she's been battling through and wading through all the different aspects of what she's going through after losing her home. And she said after half an hour with us, it just gave her a little bit of headspace and a beautiful head of hair to walk away with and she didn't have to think about all the other stuff while she was here. So we're obviously here for people to share their stories and everybody has a story, but we also allow them that opportunity to just escape from dealing with insurance companies, dealing with um, different de government departments, trying to get their documents back. They're just wading through as best they can. So if we can give them half an hour, an hour of love and affection, then that's what we do. Have you been semi-hairdresser, semi-counsellor? always yeah not just now not just now that's part of a hairdresser's role um i think most women will admit that their hairdresser knows more about them than anyone else but for me it's not just being the hairdresser it's being a member of the community um i actually wasn't here on the day of new year's eve when they came through and with that i felt quite a lot of guilt that i wasn't here with my community so I wasn't huddled on Malua Bay Beach, so I can't share that experience. And with that, you feel guilty. We've had a lot of clients um, bring us brand new clothes. Tags are still on them. 
they drop off a bag, tell us what size is in there, or there might be multiple sizes, knowing that we will come across someone that is in need that may not feel comfortable to go to the Salvation Army or going to St Vincent de Paul. A lot of the comments has been they don't all want to shop at Kmart because they don't all want to look the same. Uh, so we've been trying to distribute things a little bit more discreetly, um, taking donations, no, not knowing you know everybody's individual tastes, but you know some classic pieces, you know some nice clothes are generally brand new. We've also had clients that have lost their homes that have tried to donate clothing that they've been given back to the charities and they've been told no they don't want it so they're actually bringing it to us so that we can filter it through to people that might need it instead if you're not familiar with the new south wales south coast you can search mates under fire on dailytelegraph.com.au while listening to this podcast and explore the region we've built galleries maps and included drone footage of the unimaginable devastation in this series, we've heard from Jan Russell a couple of times. She's spoken of the terror of that day on the beach, the heartache of losing the neighbourhood wildlife like the birds and kangaroos she'd befriended, but also the kindness of her own neighbours who saved her home from burning down. Jan spent a fortnight away from her house after the fires and says everyone at their motel came together for a meal she'll remember forever. I think it was about the third day we were there. And uh, one of his receptionists, she said, look, we're going to put on a meal here. Um, we've got to use, we've got stuff that um, will expire, so we've got to cook something. He's going to cook up some spag bowl. And would you like to come at lunchtime, 12 o'clock? I said, oh, yeah, that'll be nice, you know. No power. It was a few days before power came back on in town. So we all lobbed into this beautiful restaurant, you know, all set up candlelight everywhere and um, we went in we had orange juice and a um, bit of bruschetta and we're sitting then the outcome uh, all having a bit of talk you know everyone's talking first time we'd sort of conversed and uh, out come the waitresses you know with the big bowls with spag bowl I'll tell you what I've never tasted spag bowl so good <laughs> uh, we got into that and um Next thing out, the waitress comes and she's got a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon for everybody. <laughs> you know, here we are having Cabernet Sauvignon at one o'clock. But, um, it just boosted morale, you know, and uh, it was great. Jim Scully kept the town going with his supermarket in the days after the fire. He and his son both lost their homes, but he continued going into work every day so people could get vital supplies. He gets emotional as he talks about the kindness shown to him by his customers and staff. Yeah, we've got, um, we support about nine families and about 20 casuals uh, in our little business. So, you know, you got to think of those. They've got to keep going. They've got to uh, get wages, and um, you can't just stop those. And uh, but the staff were uh, and all the staff turned up. Can we help? They weren't rostered on. Can we help? Uh, so it was that sort of stuff. It was. Um, I don't know anybody that didn't. Uh, you know, I don't know one staff member that didn't walk up to the shop and see whether they could help. How's it made you feel seeing everyone come together as they have and, and everyone helping each other out and cooking for each other and those kinds of things? You say that you make me emotional because that's the best part about it. 
And that's always the part that made me emotional. Uh, it's when I think of somebody doing some stuff for me, I'm sorry, um, it always makes me emotional when I think of the help that was out there. It was just, I, I, I couldn't believe, like, the first night, um, the steakhouse across the road was open, we hadn't had a cooked meal for about five days, and Kate and I said, we'll go across, and, you know, I don't know how they were trading, we didn't have electricity, but they, they had something, I don't know, and we... We had a lovely meal, and we got talking to these people that knew a friend of mine who had lost his house, a guy called David Bayard, he's a very famous artist. And we got talking to them, and they knew David Bayard as well. They went. We went to pay a bill, and they'd paid our bill, $120. You know, we lashed out, we had a really nice bottle of wine, we had a really nice meal. And uh, and I got went to get some, because we lost all our safe keys and shop keys and everything. I went to the local locksmith. Mate, you're not paying anything. And and this has been happening. Kate went to get her hair done. They wouldn't accept any money from her. Um, now, this this is astronomical, really. It's, it's um, again, it's emotional for me because um, I'm, a, I'm a people person. I'm, I'm a service person. This is what I try to provide in my shop. And when somebody provides it back to me, it, it makes me feel pretty good about the whole of it. And like these country towns like this, we, um, we all come together, whether it's floods or fires or cyclones or whatever. Uh, Australian people, that's what they do. It's no secret the rebuilding operation will be a mammoth one. In our final episode, we speak to former Governor-General Sir Peter Cosgrove. Through his reconstruction program, Biz Rebuild, he's helping this devastated region recover from the economic impacts of the bushfires. Former Deputy Police Commissioner Dick Adams has been tasked with the job of coordinating the recovery effort, stretching from the southern edge of Sydney to the Victorian border. While he admits there's no silver bullet, the region will get back on its feet stronger than ever. And Andrew Constance, the local MP who's led the community through some of its darkest days. We've come through something which was incredibly traumatic and powerful uh, to now get to the other side and um, you know we've just got to make sure everyone's part of it no one gets left behind that's next week on mates under fire we hope you're staying safe Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's yeah. just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilant sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck yeah. to Parkley Prison. Listen to I catch killers early and ad free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.